All right, good evening. Appreciate you being here the, the, tonight as we uh, uh, dive into our Life of Christ study. Uh, if you're following along in the packet, we'll be in Lesson 58 tonight. Lesson 58, or if you just want to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter 18, uh, covering basically the, the last half of this chapter. Uh, again, Matthew chapter 18. And so uh, Sunday morning at our, in our last class... Uh, we talked about the, the first half of Matthew chapter 18, and we uh, noticed that the disciples were sort of uh, talking among themselves, asking this question eventually to Jesus, you know, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This was something, obviously, the uh, apostles have been, uh, you know, discussing among themselves, uh, I mentioned that later on in Matthew chapter 20, we're going to notice that the mother of James and John uh, comes to Jesus and asks, you know, would it be possible that my, my two sons, James and, James and John, can be on your right hand and your left hand when you go into your kingdom? And uh, Jesus is going to sort of, you know, uh, rebuke her uh, of that thought because uh, as she and many of the other apostles, you know, they've got their minds set on this uh, fleshly physical kingdom that they're uh, thinking about. And so you can see that there's sort of this uh, movement within the 12 apostles of, you know, who's going to be the greatest. And so Jesus has to um, use, or he doesn't have to, but he uses an object lesson to uh, get this through the the apostles, you know, head that, uh, that, you know, what they're doing is wrong. Right? That uh, this jostling for position, this uh, looking for power, uh, is not what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And so uh, he brings an object lesson before them, bringing a small child uh, before them. And he shows them and explains to them that in order to be uh, a, a part of the kingdom of heaven, that you're going to have to convert yourself like this little child, he says. And, and then he also gives that statement, if anyone wants to be first... He must be last, right? And so uh, we, we talked about how, uh, you know, in our culture today, you know, we sort of prop up children. You know, we, uh, we serve them first, you know, at, at home. Uh, we, uh, you know, make sure that they're cared for. We're, we're um, you know, uh, helicopter parents sometimes, right? We're, we're always, you know, just making sure uh, that they are good to go. But in that society in the first century, when Jesus lived on this earth, you know, children were at the bottom end of the polden toll, right? They, they didn't get served first. Uh, they had to uh, kind of get served last. And so when Jesus brings a small child in front of them and says, uh, if you want to be first, then you must be last, you know, that would make sense to them because they understood that a small child uh, was not sort of uh, that person in society that had the special treatment. And so when we think about, you know, a child, how is it that a, that a child is fit for the kingdom of heaven? And, you know, we, again, we pointed out those different characteristics of a child, right? That children are humble. You know, Jesus said that you have to be humble. Uh, we talked about, you know, their innocence. You know, children are innocent. We talked about how they're teachable, Right? These are, and there's a lot of more qualities of a child that suits them for being you know, ready for the kingdom of heaven. We also looked at a lot of smaller lessons uh, last, or on Sunday morning as well. We, we noticed how, again, children are innocent. 
Right? There's the, the false notion that we are born sinful. And, uh, and of course, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Jesus, uh, you know, here in this particular verse in particular, uh, mentions that, you know, again, the kingdom of heaven is well suited for uh, these children, right? They are, um, they are ones who are uh, members of the kingdom. They, and uh, so we, no- we notice that children are innocent. We also notice that we can't be stumbling blocks to uh, young ones. Uh, when we talk about young ones, we, we talked about that this could be talking about, you know, again, children. This could be talking about new converts. This could be talking about Christians in general, but uh, we must make sure that we have an influence that's not going to be a stumbling block to these individuals. Because what did Jesus say would be better for them to have what around their neck? A millstone, right? It'd be better for them to have a millstone around their neck, be thrown into the sea, than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And, and then he goes on and gives that illustration of, right, if your hand causes you to, you know, sin, if your, if your feet, if your eyes, you know, get rid of those things, you know, pluck your eye out or cut your hand off, cut your foot off, uh, not literally, but figuratively saying, get rid of those things in your life that are uh, harming your chances uh, to be a member of this kingdom. Uh, we, we also notice that, especially in Mark's account, that he gives us a lot of descriptions of how hell is going to be, and so we looked at that as well, uh, the unquenchable fire, the, the worm that never dies, being cast into it, and so a lot of descriptive uh, you know, verbs uh, that we see of that, and again, we mentioned that Jesus uh, in the New Testament is the one who speaks about hell the most, and so we should probably take um, particular um, interest in what he has to say about that. We talked about angels. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, uh, in particular, in that chapter, talked about uh, how the angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So we, we, again, we, we kind of uh, did a lot of different lessons uh, last Sunday uh, in this text. And we didn't even get to verses 12 through 14 in Matthew chapter 18. just wanted to read it before we move on. Uh, but Jesus said, What do you think, if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the ones that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones shall perish. So you can see he's still got the little ones in mind here, the, the, the young children here, as he gives this uh, illustration of those who are lost. Right? That, that although the 99 are safe, uh, the shepherd is willing to leave the 99 to go and find that one because that one is so precious. So, again, a lot of lessons uh, from uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 18. And so today we're moving into the second half of Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 15 through 35 in particular. And uh, again, as I like to do before we begin uh, diving into the 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 verses. You know, let's think of. Let's think on some of these questions. Uh, have you had someone do you wrong before? Have you had someone treat you badly before? Have you had someone sin against you? That's going to be sort of the topic that Jesus is going to have in these next uh, verses. And so, how did you handle it? Again, we don't have to answer this, but 
you know, just think, uh, you know, how did we handle it? Did we handle it? Uh, do you know that we have a responsibility to handle it? Right? Because that's what Jesus is going to talk about here. And also, you know, another question we could ask ourselves is, do you sometimes find it difficult not to hold grudges? Right? And so uh, Jesus has a lot to say. He's even going to give them some instructions, and then he's going to give them a parable to better illustrate what he wants to teach them. I don't know how much time we're going to have to go over the, the parable itself. Uh, I plan when we come back uh, a week from Sunday to uh, preach a lesson on this parable. So maybe we'll leave some of it for that. But if we do have time, we'll touch on that. But we just discussed, again, what it means to have value in the kingdom of heaven. Right? The first part is focused on how we act towards those little ones. And now the second half of this chapter is going to talk about how we get along with others. And so uh, not sinning against others, again, was the focus of the first half. And now the second half is if someone sins against us. You know, this is probably one of the the toughest sections in Scripture uh, for us to follow, you know, because uh, we don't necessarily like confrontation, do we? And uh, but it's important, right, because these uh, these are Jesus's words, right? This is from heaven. He is giving us instructions of what we must do if a brother or sister in Christ sins against us. Do you remember that great question that uh, Cain, uh, all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, said, you know, after he had killed his brother Abel? And remember, God was confronting him about that. Do you remember, uh, do you remember what Cain said? Uh, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, am I responsible for my, my brother? Uh, well, in a way, yes, uh, that, as we're going to look here uh, this evening. And again, the model that Jesus gives us is, is clear, it's concise, but again, I don't know if we uh, follow it as much as we should. So, so let's, let's read uh, the first Uh, five verses or so, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, and notice what Jesus has to say. He says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven." For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So Jesus begins the section by saying, if your brother sins against you. What what does that term brother there indicate what Jesus is speaking about? Okay, yeah, so 
Jesus is saying, if your brother sins against you. Now, this word here for brother, you know, it's a gender neutral word. He's not saying specifically the men, but he's talking about, you know, your brother or sister, your brethren. If your brethren sin against you. Right. And so uh, he's not talking about the outside world here. In the context here, he's talking about those in the church. Here's what I want to have happen uh, if someone who is your brother uh, sins against you in the church. Here are your steps. Again, this isn't about what is uh, about maybe somebody outside of the church sinning against you, but this is what you are to do if someone in the church. Now, maybe uh, your translation says something different, and I want to make this point as well in verse 15. Uh, because my translation says, if your brother sins, uh, maybe your translation says, if your brother sins against you, right? Um, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the older uh, manuscripts that we have uh, don't have that particular phrase against you in, in, the, uh, in there. And so uh, some of the translators then uh, have not included that. But if you, you know, if we, again, stick to the context of what's going on, when we get down to verse 21, we're going to notice Peter uh, sort of using that same phrase, how often shall my brother sin against me? And so that's really what's going on here, right? Um, if your brother sins, right? if your brother sins against me, uh, you know, there's a difference between the two, right? If your brother sins or if your brother sins against me. And so, you know, we, we just want to make sure that we understand that, you know, what Peter, or not, excuse me, not Peter, what Jesus is talking about here is, you know, a personal offense. Uh, again, when we take the whole context into the situation, uh, uh, the context, again, seems to be pointing to a private, personal offense. You know, how do we sin against each other? I mean, is it... Uh, you know, I came into the church building and someone was in my seat, and that made me upset. Okay, contrary to God's law, to God's teaching. You know, we don't have to be specific, right? We can just be a general in our in our thoughts. But you know, if if someone you know stole from me, if someone uh, slandered me, if someone gossiped uh, about me, right? They're they're sinning against me. Right? And so Jesus says here, if someone sins against you, go and show him or her uh, his fault in private. The idea here is not to get even with the person. Right? The, the idea is not to, you know, you know, catch them or anything. But, you know, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1... Remember uh, this passage, he says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too uh, will not be tempted. We'll talk a little bit more about this later on, but the idea of going to our brother who has sinned against us is to you know, help him um, reflect on you know, the fault, the, the sin that he committed against us. Okay, and so uh, we go to him, Jesus says. Step one, we go to him. We must go to our brother. Um, that doesn't mean we, you know, that doesn't mean we complain sort of behind his back of what he has done to us, to others. Uh, 
that doesn't mean you know we get on social media and lash out uh, against him and maybe you know maybe uh, not include his name, but just kind of generically say you know you know so and so treated me in such a way. Uh, you know we don't sit and pout about the situation. Uh, we don't uh, say you know what it's not my fault. Right? He sinned against me. Uh, he should be coming to me and apologizing. Right? Again, that's not what Jesus says. Um, I know in a lot of congregations, you know, especially if a congregation has elders, usually uh, if somebody sins against someone and they're upset about it, they don't go to the brother or the sister that committed the, the, the sin against them, but they, they'll rush to the eldership, right? And they'll say, uh, you know, so, brother so-and-so, you know, did this. And, and so I know, uh, you know, of talking to elders before is that, you know, that's one of those things that, ooh, you know, that's... That's a hard part of the eldership of having people come to you, you know, with those problems. And, you know, they've got to kind of gently, you know, sort of tell them, you know, that, well, have you gone to that person? Have you gone to that brother? Have you gone to that sister and talked to them about that? Right. And so those are things that we don't do. But Jesus says we go to them. We talk to them uh, individually, one on one, private, alone. You know, we don't, adver- we don't advertise the sin, and we go to them one-on-one. Why do you think at this point, in this initial step, this first step, why do we go to them in private, one-on-one? We don't need to be drawing attention. Okay. We don't need to be drawing attention to it. Well, we want to be treated the same way, so we should have them enough respect enough to do them as we want to be done, I guess, the same way. Okay, yeah, we, the golden rule, right? We want to be treated the same way. It might be embarrassing to the person if you take others with you the first time. Right, there might be some uh, embarrassment, uh, humiliation that we could draw uh, if we're getting other people involved at the beginning of, of this process. Uh, you know, the individual might feel ganged up on, right? That, that uh, all these people are maybe... Uh, two or three people are coming to them over something. And so, again, Jesus says, go to them and uh, show them their fault. You know, that just means bring it to light, uh, uncover it. And one thing we need to make sure that we as Christians are, are people who are able to, um, you know, take those uh, criticisms, those criticisms, especially if they're just criticisms, uh, listen to a couple of these passages in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter, uh, let's look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. Uh, Solomon says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. You know, we don't like to be offended, right? We don't like uh, being accused of things, but you know, we really need to have the spirit that... Uh, that if you know somebody's coming to us in this uh, particular reason uh, that you know that we've possibly sinned against them, that you know we need to be able to you know listen and to maybe uh, you know find out that it's possibly that possible that this has happened to us and not get offended um, at those things. Uh, another good passage is in Proverbs chapter nine, starting in verse seven. Uh, Solomon said, uh, he who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets 
insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. We need to be able to, uh, you know, be able to, you know, sit down and, you know, not get hot-headed about the uh, accusation, right? To uh, listen to what the other person has to say, to, to think about it, and not to be so easily offended. And so, Jesus says in this first step, if, uh, if your brother uh, listens to you, you've won him. Right? You have won your brother. Uh, he uh, realizes that he had sinned against you. Uh, he repents of that, and you have won your brother. Right? But what if he does not listen? What's, what does Jesus say is the next step? Okay, so two or three witnesses. Take one or two more witnesses with you. Now, these witnesses... Are these individuals who saw the sin committed against you? Now, it's probably impossible, right? Uh, it was, again, a personal thing. It was a one-on-one type of thing. So that we're not talking about people who witnessed it happen, but we're talking about those uh, who can you know, sit down with the individuals and sort of substantiate that, hey, what you did, you know, if you truly did it, it was wrong, right? And so... Those are the, the two or three witnesses. Now, now, now think on this. You know, what's the purpose of bringing two or three witnesses to this uh, discussion? So the discussion is Okay. And you establish so that gets blown up. You Right. We don't want to get it out of hand. We don't want it to blow up. And then establish the facts. And establish the facts, yeah. He said, he said. Right. He said... He said, she said, got a tongue tongue twister there. But uh, yeah, look at verse 17 again. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, right? So that implies that, you know, they're not just there sitting there, right? They're actively involved in this matter. Uh, They're listening. They're helping direct the discussion. Uh, They're helping everyone to grasp and establish the situation. Yeah. 
That, yeah, that's an interesting thought because uh, the person on the other end could think, well, maybe you chose this brother and this brother for the specific uh, because they align with your thinking, right? And so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so. think we have to be careful about that uh, to kind of break them beforehand. Right. And if you noticed um, in that verse 16, I don't know if your translation does this, but whenever. Um, the New American Standard is which I read out. Whenever somebody is quoting an Old Testament passage, they'll put the words in, in, in capital letters, letting you know, me know that this is something that's coming out of the Old Testament. And that's exactly you know, where uh, Jesus is getting this idea of having two or three witnesses. That comes directly from the Old Law. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, both... Uh, talk about how the law of Moses requires at least two witnesses to every act of crime or every uh, offense against a law. Right? There's got to be witnesses uh, there to substantiate you know, your claim. And so that's, a, that's an interesting thought. That's something you know, that, that I, you know, I should study more to you know, kind of, um, you know, again, think of the thoughts that Mike brought up there about um, do we... When we bring those witnesses, do we um, let them know the situation front hand, or do we um, you know, kind of spring it on all of them at the same time? So uh, that, so again, so that's uh, something that um, I don't think we expressly told to us there. Um, but here's uh, again, we're in step two, and. Again, uh, if, these, if this is brought before uh, your brother, and at this time, you know, maybe now, uh, because maybe you brought a couple of brothers or sisters uh, with you that are, uh, you know, what you would deem as, you know, uh, very faithful, you know, very uh, reverent, very, you know, very faithful members of the congregation, and they're coming and sitting in on this meeting, and so that kind of tells you that, Ooh, maybe there is some seriousness between, you know, in what I'm doing, right? Because if brother so-and-so uh, is on this, you know, this one of these witnesses, one of these members, you know, maybe I am in the wrong. Again, maybe I need to look into it. And so, again, hopefully this is going to, uh, and again, we're talking about a sin being committed against someone. This isn't an accusation. This isn't, um, you know, something that you're spreading. This is... Uh, this is an actual sin that has committed against you uh, that's verifiable. And uh, again, so at this point, at, during step two, if they don't repent of it, what does Jesus say? Now step three, tell it to the church, it says. Um, now what does that actually mean? Okay. Okay. Okay, so uh, the word church uh, is the Greek word ekklesia, and this is interesting because in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you know, obviously the church doesn't come into existence until Acts chapter 2. Jesus only uses the word church twice in the Gospel accounts, and it's in Matthew chapter 16, and in here, Matthew chapter 18. And so uh, the, the church, of course, is, you know, the called out. The, the, the assembled people, you know, the God's faithful people. And so <clears throat> when Jesus says we're going to tell, tell it to the church, um, 
Again, this is going to be the, the individuals that consist of the saved. Uh, this isn't going to be you know, people outside of the church because this is our problem. right? This is something that we need to take care of uh, before us. And so how do you tell the church? Um, he doesn't tell us. Right? And that's what the, that's what, that's what's in the packet right there. He doesn't tell us specifically, but uh, in a lot of congregations, that might start with the eldership. Right? If you have an eldership within a congregation, uh, usually you know, that starts with them. Right? And so you know, you've gone to that brother and nothing happened. You bring a couple of witnesses and nothing happens again. And so you, know, you go to the eldership and... Um, you know, and so the eldership is going to act, right? They're going to, like uh, you know, Tara kind of mentioned, if it was something that uh, is told to the church and they did not, again, uh, change their mind, change their attitude at that point, uh, it's, it's told to the church, right? It's told to the congregation, what, whether that's, you know, someone getting up uh, in the pulpit and announcing it in front of everyone, whether it's, uh, you know, I've seen letters written to congregations, letting them know that, you know, brother so-and-so hasn't been seen in, you know, seven, eight months, and so we're going to, uh, you know, be with drawing our fellowship from him, and so it's been done that way in letters, um, but, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a different, uh, it's a different venue for, uh, you know, congregations that, that might not have you know, an in, in eldership established. And so that sort of then falls on to the, the faithful men of the congregation to uh, make that decision. Uh, so what happens if he does not listen to the church? That's one of those, yeah, that's one of those things that as, as a group... Again, the leadership's going to have to decide, you know. Uh, now, uh, well, do we have, yeah, we have a couple minutes to uh, verses 21 through 22. Uh, let me skip ahead a little bit. Um, now, what I want to say, well, let me say this. Uh, does this process work uh, of going to your brother, uh, going to uh, your brother with uh, witnesses, going to your brother before the church? Um, you know, it, does this process work? It depends on how sincere the individual is. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but if you've done your part, and there comes a time that you just have to say, I'm done, I mean, yeah. well, let's read. Well, let's read those next few verses. Where uh, so so Peter comes, verse twenty-one. So so Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, up to seven times? Uh, the, the rabbis taught. Now this is interesting. The rabbis taught that uh, you had to forgive three times, and after the third time, the fourth time, you didn't have to forgive him anymore. Right? This is this is what the rabbis taught. The teachers of the day, the Pharisees. But then, so, so then Peter says, should I forgive him up to seven times? And so Peter is kind of, you know, taking that number three and he's adding three more and, get, you know, or adding four more. And 
But Jesus said to him in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Right, if my brother comes to me and asks for you know, forgiveness up to 70 times seven, you know, I must forgive him. Now, is, where's our math majors? 70 times seven. 490. So is Jesus saying after the 490th uh, time that he came, comes and asks for forgiveness, then I no longer have to forgive him? No, that, that's kind of a, uh, you know, sort of a way to, uh, you know, uh, enhance the, the number, right? It's a, sort of a multiply. The seven, seven is a perfect number. In, in scripture. And so that he's using the number seven and multiplying it out. And so uh, if he comes to me, you know, Jesus is saying, if, he com- if you're coming to me and you're asking for forgiveness every single time, uh, I must uh, forgive that individual. And also, let me uh, make a point on verse 20 as well. I know we kind of skipped ahead. Uh, But uh, verse 20, this is a very comforting verse because it says, uh, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is one of those verses that a lot of times you hear it taken out of context. You know, that that people, uh, you know, we're going golfing Sunday morning and there's two or three of us. So, you know, where uh, where two or three are gathered, uh, you know, he's there in our midst. So we can worship that way. Right. But. Uh, remember, the context that we're uh, looking at here is uh, on church discipline, um, you know, going to our brother and that. And so Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to be difficult. You know, we don't want to go and uh, offend someone. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to be there with you during that whole process. So um, appreciate all the comments today. And again, we'll look at the parable uh, the, the Sunday I get back, uh, hopefully I'll have a sermon prepared for that, and hopefully some of these uh, things will click. But um, Matthew chapter 18, that's a, I guess that's a, a topic that uh, we'd like to discuss even more maybe. So uh, thank you, everyone.